So it's second week of September, and you know this. I should have said this uh, last week, uh, first week of September. Our Christmas season doesn't begin in December. Our Christmas season begins in September, correct? Yeah. Yes? yes. So I'm sure you're, you're, you know, sales around the corner, you're buying stuff, doing some pasalubong for people back in the Philippines. This is a, a joyous moment for all of us. My prayer is that you don't forget the real meaning of Christmas. In Psalm 24, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and pure heart. There's something about his clean hands that makes us acceptable to God. When you hear the word flawless, you immediately associate that word to a celebrity or a model that is beautiful and flawless. Uh, in Southeast Asia, our standard of beauty, uh, we give preference to women who are with lighter skin and beautiful and flawless. If you go to Japan, you cannot go to Japan and not buy Shiseido. I'm not promoting Shiseido. But Shiseido is the number one brand, cosmetic brand in Southeast Asia, number five in the world. Japanese women tend to avoid too much red meat and fried foods and sugar because anything that causes inflammation is automatically off the table. The goal is to remain youthful and flawless. I can see some of you here are like that. But no matter how much we try, no matter how much we try to be youthful and flawless, we cannot stop the clock from ticking. Mortality and aging is catching up on us and very fast. But this problem cuts across the board from the rich to the poor, from the famous to the forgotten. We are all part of it. We are all bound because we are Adam's seed. We are part of it. The question is, if beauty is more than skin deep, then what do we do with the standard of beauty? What do we make of beauty and cleanliness and skin? So last week, we talked about what you put in your mouth that makes you unclean. Today, I'm going to talk to you about what goes to your skin that makes you unclean. Last week, we talked about Leviticus 11. Now, we're going to talk about Leviticus 13 and 14. What goes to your skin that makes you unclean? Let me start from reading Leviticus 13, verses 1 to 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling, or an eruption, or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now, this is, this is something that you don't really read every day. A lot of people have tried to read the Bible and start from Genesis, then Exodus, and then we get, when they get to Leviticus, they stop. Because it's all about you know, procedures and instructions on certain things that we cannot relate to. But this is very important because this talks about cleanliness. When you read this chapter, this chapter is all about skin issues and discolorations and burns and scales, itchiness and baldness. To be technical about it, this chapter uses the word leprous, the word for Hebrew that is sara'at. When the Hebrew Bible was translated to Greek, this word was translated as lepra, 
This is where we get our English word leprosy. But if you want to be technical about it, if you're reading Bible commentaries and Bible literatures, for the last 15 years, scholars are in agreement that this leper in Leviticus 14, 13 and 14, is not the same as the leprosy we have right now in a modern time. The leprosy that we have right now is called Hans's disease. This is the, the nastiest kind of lepra that makes your limb fall off your body. It eats the tissues of your muscles. This is Hans's disease. What we have in Leviticus 13 and 14 is not an Hans's disease. This is a word that encompasses all the nasty and contagious, uncurable diseases in the Old Testament. So it ranges from eczema to psoriasis and all those sorts of skin disease. So let me put in the obvious question. Why is this law necessary for Israel? And what does it mean to me? And should I care? Now imagine the Israelites in the wilderness living in tents. And now you know the history. For 40 years, they've been living in the wilderness, in tents, with the minimum resources of water and food. If a contagious disease breaks in the camp, that means it will spread in the community. And God will be displeased because God said, I will dwell in your presence and you have to be clean. And that's why it's imperative for the people of Israel living in the wilderness to make sure that those who contracted skin disease be quarantined outside the camp. Now, I explained this last week, but whatever the case, according to the Bible, the Israelites who contract skin disease must go to the priest and be examined. If the priest determines that it is a sara'at or skin disease, he will pronounce that person unclean. Now, that's very stigmatic, very traumatic. To be pronounced unclean is not very pleasant. Now in this context, let me clear, let me be clear. When we say unclean, we don't we don't mean the your moral status before God. When it talks about Leviticus 13 and 14, unclean has nothing to do with your moral standing before God. It's nothing to do with sin. It's nothing to do with being a sinner. This has something to do with ritual. So if this is only ritual, why bother? The answer to that lies at the very heart of the gospel story. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, Eden was lost because Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. But in Leviticus chapter 13, Eden is in the process of restoration. God is returning back, reversing the curse of Eden. He wants to dwell again in the midst of his people, in the wilderness. God was, in fact, giving a favor to the Israelites by inhabiting among them, by dwelling among them. And when we say inhabiting among them, we say it literally. God is literally in their midst. How so? There's a passage here in the book of Leviticus where if you do your job number two, you know job number two, your personal business? You know, imagine yourself in the, in the wilderness. You're living in tents and you have to relieve yourself. Whether job number one or number two, it has to be somewhere in a designated area. Or else there will be pollutants everywhere. And what's interesting is that God was very specific even in this. Listen to Deuteronomy 23, verse 12 to 14. God said, You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a travel with your tools. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it, and turn back and cover up your excrement. 
guys, we have to dig. When you, go to the, when you go to the forest, you have to dig. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. What's interesting is that the Bible calls this indecent. If you do your job number two and you don't cover it up, it's called indecent. Because God is walking among them in the wilderness. Now, even if it's a personal business, even if it's not connected with sin or your moral status with God, God still demands that the camp stay clean. Because God cares even with the simple thing for the simple reason that God is a holy God. And therefore the Israelites must be holy, must be clean. Let me explain further. When God created Adam and Eve, He told them not to eat from the fruit. But they did. They ate from the fruit. And they disobeyed. The consequence for that is death. There's no other consequence but death. Now, death can come in different forms. Because you may ask, Pastor, why did they, did they did die immediately? Because death can come in different forms. For the snake, it was cursed to crawl on the ground. That's why when you read Leviticus 11, anything that crawls on the ground is unclean, like the snake. His death will be delivered by the seed of the woman. It will be a slow, agonizing death to wait for that death. But he will die. The woman, on the other hand, will suffer pain in childbirth. All women will suffer pain in childbirth. Even if you have anesthesia or general anesthesia, when you wake up, you will still suffer pain in childbirth. Her life, which means, is always at stake every time she gives birth. Which means, every time she gives birth, Death is waiting around the corner. That is the curse of death. And FYI, if you keep reading Leviticus chapter 12, a woman who gives childbirth is considered unclean. We will, we will talk about it next week. If a woman gives birth to a male child, she becomes unclean for seven days. If a woman becomes un, uh, gives birth to a female child, she becomes unclean for 14 days. All right, I'll explain to you next week. But that's, that, that's the idea. Death was slow, and death is always around the corner every time she gives birth. What about the man? God said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And you hear this every time you attend a funeral or an internment. The priest or the pastor would always say, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Man is dust, and to dust you shall return. It reminds us that we are all heading towards that one destination dust. We came from dust to dust we will return. But skin disease is a mini constant reminders of our mortality. In a world where we do not have microscope and no knowledge of DNA, the Bible tells us that skin disease resembles a condition that points to death. The skin reveals our health and this contagious disease should remind us ultimately of our mortality. When you look at yourself, and you look at someone who's pale, you're, gonna, you're like thinking, is this guy well? Is his health okay? When you have something in your face, you have some, some skin disease, you're asking yourself the same question. Are you well? Or are you not? See, when Miriam and Aaron, see, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses are siblings. You, you know that, right? Miriam is the oldest, and then Aaron, and then Moses was the youngest. 
But it was to Moses that God chose to spoke. Very much so. And Miriam and Aaron one time opposed Moses because they said, why is God only speaking to you and not to us? I mean, we're all called to be spokesperson of God. What only to you? So they opposed Moses. So all of them were brought in front of the tabernacle and God came in the form of a pillar of cloud. God overshadowed the tabernacle and spoke to Moses, to Miriam, and Aaron. And right after that, God was displeased because it was only because it is God's choice to speak to whomever he wants to. And he wants to speak through Moses, not Aaron, not Miriam. And after that, God was displeased. The pillar of cloud left the tabernacle. And we read this in Numbers 12, verse 9. And the anger of the Lord, that is Yahweh, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. What he's saying, what Aaron is trying to say is that a person has leprous disease is considered almost half dead. See, in the ancient Near East, Sara'at, or this particular skin disease, is deadly. It is deadly because anyone who contracts this disease is considered untouchable. They are ostracized from the community. And in this case, this leprosy was a clear punishment from God to Miriam. Now that means Miriam, at this point, is like walking dead. She bears death on her skin. That's why when you read Leviticus 13, you'll find that the leprosy, among all other skin diseases, were treated with total abhorrence. People don't like to be with someone or to sit beside someone who has leprosy. Now perhaps this is like the stigma when, you know, the HIV virus came out. I mean, we're so afraid of people of HIV. The same thing in 2020 when COVID-19 broke out. We're so afraid with people who have COVID-19. When you're on a plane or you're on a bus or in public transportation, anywhere in public, if a person sneezes, you immediately look... <laughs> Right? You're afraid. There's a stigma involved. You see, skin disease in the Old Testament was like this. My first pastorate back in the Philippines was just about five kilometers away from a leprosarian community. Uh, I pastor a church in San Jose del Monte, Bulacan. There's a leprosarian community called Tala, where there's a community of people who have Hansen's disease. The the nastiest sort of Sarah, the leprous disease. And I, and I can tell you that I have seen leprosy face to face. I mean, it's curable now. It's not as, you know, as scary as before. But when I talked to them, they gave testimonies how horrible it is to have that kind of disease. To have that kind of disease is horrible enough. But they say that what is more horrible, what is more hard, it's because people look down on them with contempt. Even their families don't live with them, don't like them. They are left isolated, alone, and wanted, unloved by their own families. But for the leprous person in time of Moses, it was even more traumatic. There's an accompanying social and cultural stigma. 
Let me read to you further, verses 45 and 46. This is what it means to have leprosy back in the Old Testament. Verse 45 says, The leprous person was diseased shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover up his upper lip crying out, Unclean! Unclean! That's what a person does with a leprosy in the Old Testament. In verse 46, it says, He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Do you notice every time? It, it repeatedly uses the word unclean, unclean, unclean. To, to really determine, it gives us a, the idea that this is not acceptable. But it says his dwelling place shall be outside of the camp. Now, can you imagine if this leprous person is your father or mother, your son, your daughter? Can you imagine if this is a minor, she has to live outside of the camp to fend for herself, alone, by herself? The leprous person is considered almost dead and is contagious. He shall live alone outside of the camp. Because if he lives inside and everyone will have this contagious disease and God will will depart from the place. God will not dwell in the place anymore. That's what it means. Now, for Adam and Eve, this is exactly the symbolic picture of the leprous disease. Again, the consequence of sin is death. Death can come in many forms. And in one form, it's the leprous disease. Adam and Eve were taken out from the garden because they sinned. They became unclean. So a person also who has leprous disease will be taken out from the camp because they are unclean, unfit to live in the presence of God. Because anything indecent, anything unclean, anything that resembles death in the camp or in the presence of God is opposite of holiness. You know, when you contract COVID-19, the first thing we do is to get tested. And then, if we are tested positive, we get quarantined. And then we stay for some days inside our room. We're so bored. And then finally, we're healed. We're saying we're healed. And we get tested again. And there's a process of waiting for the result before you get the AO clear. See, Leviticus chapter 14 is the same. When you contract this leprous disease, you must go to the priest. And the priest will examine you. And he will say you're unclean. You will live outside the camp for many days until you get healed. And when you say, I'm healed now, the priest again will come to you and will examine you, your body. And when he says, you're good, he must do some ritual. The ritual involves offering of a bird, washing his clothes, and shaving all his hair, including his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. To make sure that you look clean. And you will bathe. And you will stay outside of your tent, outside the camp, for seven days. On the eighth day, the priest will go back and check on you. You will do the same thing. You will shave your head, your beard, your eyebrows. You will wash your clothes. You will take a bath. And you will say, I'm clean. But then on the eighth day, you will bring two animals, grains, and oil. Because the priest will do ritual of purification. We also call it atonement. And at the very end of this long and tedious process, Leviticus chapter verse chapter 14 verse 20 says, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. 
Then and only then, a person will be clean upon the declaration of the priest. See, there's no cure for leprosy. Only when the priest declares you clean. This is a tedious process to be declared clean. It takes a fortune to be declared clean. It demands so much of your time and energy just to go through the process. If this is your first time to hear about this, what should come to mind is that holiness is costly. Holiness is costly. Staying holy is costly. To stay in the fa favor of God is costly. Listen, holiness requires us to stay proximate to the presence of God. Because holy mean, holiness means being in the presence of God. God is holy, and therefore we are affected by that holiness. See, when the religious, what religious tell us are steps and things to do to become holy. The thing is, there's no amount of meditation, no amount of prayer, no amount of religious experience or exercise that can make you holy. This is, this is one of the most misunderstood words. What makes you holy is the declaration of God that you are holy. Israel became holy because God declares them holy, not because of what they did, but because God declared them, from now on, you are my people, you are holy, you are sanctified for me, you are holy. In the same way, an unclean person becomes clean when the priest declares him to be clean. You see, holiness is not achieved by an effort on our part. Holiness, as well as cleanliness, is a matter of declaration. God must declare you holy. Just like, you know, the doctors must declare you positive or negative from COVID-19. It must become coming from a declaration. And in case you forgot, leprosy <coughs> was one of the signs God gave to Moses. So when Moses was, was in Midian, God met with him and called him, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and let my people go. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, what am I going to say? What's your name? So God said his name, I am. But then Moses said, what if they don't believe me? So God said, all right, here's what you're going to do. Throw your staff on the ground and the staff will become a serpent. And he became a serpent. And God said, pick up the serpent from the tail. And he picked it up. It became a staff again. But then God, and then Moses said, what if they still don't believe me? This guy is really trying to be, you know, guarantee what he's going to do. So God said, put your right arm inside your cloak. Take it out. He became leprous. Put it back again. And take it out. It was well. And Moses said, this must be a good sort of magic. I think I'm going to convince people because nobody wants to be a leper. So maybe this will do. But Lord, just in case, what if they still don't believe me, even with these two signs? So God said, if they don't believe the two signs, get water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and it will turn into blood. What is this doing? These are signs of escalation. Escalation from authority to being half dead to almost dead, to, to real dead, because the last plague in Egypt was about the death of the firstborn. See, the second was kind of interesting. The first one was about the staff turning into the serpent. You see, there's a term for, for that headdress of Pharaoh. There's a serpent in the headdress of Pharaoh called Uraeus. You see that when you research on it. 
The hedges of the Pharaoh has a serpent on top. It's called Uraeus. Uraeus is the serpent god of Egypt. He has all authority over Egypt. So that means Pharaoh has authority over Egypt. For Moses to get the serpent from the tail, that means God is giving him authority over Egypt. That's interesting. The second sign was about leprosy. <coughs> in leprosy, God will do it. You know, the sixth plague in Egypt was about boils. Boils is a form of leprosy. It's a form of saraft. So that means God has made the land of Egypt half dead. I mean, living zombies, walking. See, what's interesting here is in Egypt, the Egyptians look down on the Hebrews. Because they look at the Hebrews as unclean people. They are shepherds. They don't like shepherds. So they gave them a land. It's called Goshen. All Israelites live in Goshen. But then the sixth plague was the reverse of that. When God poured out boils on the people of Egypt and they became unclean. See, this, these signs may not be as grand as the others, but it gives you an idea what God is doing to the people of Egypt, to the people of Israel as well. This is escalating. Leprosy for Miriam was a form of judgment. Leprosy for the land of Egypt and Pharaoh was also a form of judgment. But the ultimate judgment will be given to the whole race of Adam and Eve. That is death. Now fast forward to the time of Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah was one of the most celebrated prophets in the history of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1-3, to Isaiah had a vision. This is what he said. He said, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. The seraphim are another group of angels that are the guards on the throne of God. The cherubim are the guards in the Eden, but seraphim are the higher kind of angels guarding the throne of God. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and the two he covered his feet. This is a euphemism for the private parts, feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me give you the inside scope in here. There's an inside story. Isaiah said, in the year King Uzziah died. Who is Uzziah, by the way? So King Uzziah was called the leper king. You know, this, this was a great king. He started with, you know, doing good things for God. But then, at the height of his career, he became so proud that he said, I am king, I can do anything I want. And so one day, he decided to go to the temple and offer incense. You know, in the book of Leviticus, only priests are allowed to enter the holy place. No other kind of a person can enter the holy place. But this guy, because he was king, he said, I am king, I can do anything I want. And so he entered the holy place, offered incense. <coughs> Halfway, he was stopped by almost 80 priests. And said, you cannot do this. This is an abomination to the Lord. And he said, no way. I can do this because I am king. He got angry. And at that moment, God was displeased, gave him leprosy. From that day forward, he became a leper king. He died as a leper. Now, what's interesting here is that when he died, as Isaiah said, in the year that the leper king died, God is sitting on the throne. He's not the real king, Isaiah. The real king is Yahweh. He's high and lifted up. His glory is filling the temple. 
And the seraphim are worshiping it, saying, God is holy. In contrast to Uzziah, who is a leper, God is holy, holy, holy. He's not just one holy or two holy. He's three holy. My, my daughter, whenever her brother you know, offends her, she'd say, apologize to me, say sorry. <laughs> and she would not demand just one sorry. She says, three sorry. Sorry, one sorry, two sorry. I mean, that's a superlative of, oh, sorry. I mean, Isaiah is doing the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when Isaiah had the vision of God's holiness, it was the year that the leper king died. And the holy and the seraphim were singing in unison. And he understood what that means. He understood what holiness means. Because this is what he said in verse 5. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is, is righteous. Now we can assume that, because he's a prophet of God. But even though in his strict obedience to the law, he... He said, I am unclean. I live among people with unclean lips. He must be referencing the king who is a leper. And therefore he's saying, we are all unclean. We are all lepers in front of God. Only God is holy. And because of that, I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I am unclean. Oh, what Isaiah meant by people of unclean lips goes beyond skin disease. goes beyond eating what is not kosher. It goes beyond rituals and symbols. What Isaiah meant by unclean lips was people who cheat, who swear by other gods, people who use the name of God in vain, people who say one thing but do another. And even in his adherence to the law, he sees himself with the same condition as the people in his time. Unclean. You see, there are people in the time of Jesus called the Pharisees. They belong to a very specific cult, club, you may say. In the temple that adheres to the strictest sense of the law, there are people who, who are part of this group who decided they will follow the law to the letter, to the T. They observe festivals and holy days and, and strict diet and religiously they set aside money for tithe. They give, they give tithe so strictly that they even give tithe from the smallest gift they receive. Let me ex explain this. So say, for example, the Pharisee received a bar of chocolate. He takes up the tenth portion of the bar and gives it back to the temple. That's how strict they are in following the law of tithe and offering. But Jesus said something about them. To what Jesus said, they failed in their task of holiness. Listen to what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 23, verse 25. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, now you will read Matthew 23 and you will, you will read this word again and again. Hypocrites. He said, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, but outside may also be clean. Again in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Right? It's hard to be called a hypocrite. And yet God, Jesus said here, these people who obey the strictness of the law are hypocrites. For you are like white washed tombs, 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, Jesus is talking to a group of people who are following the law to the strictest sense. And yet Jesus is saying they all failed because they have prioritized outward cleanliness over inward cleanliness. You see, in zeal, they follow the Torah. They prioritize moral, the ritual rather, over the moral. And in doing so, their outward physical cleanliness became a badge of honor. It became, it became a source of pride for them. And so they, they, like to be, they like to be seen praying and fasting. They like the people's praises whenever people see them doing things for God. Leviticus 13-14 gives no provision for healing or provision for repentance or forgiveness. Because again, Leviticus 13-14 is focused on the ritual. It is focused on the symbolic meaning of holiness. There are two sides to holiness. One is symbolic, is physical. One is spiritual and inward. Ritual cleansing alone is not complete. It's not enough. Ritual cleanliness by itself can lead to pride and hypocrisy. And the Pharisees failed because they prioritized outward physical cleanliness over inward spiritual cleanliness, holiness. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you type mint, dill, and cumin. You realize these are spices. And I've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus was not saying that you forget about the ritual cleanliness. What he's saying is that we have to do both. We have to put things in proper perspective. Inward cleanliness matters first. A Christian who knows a lot of stuff about the Bible, who prays regularly, who gives the church generously, is present every Sunday, but beats his wife, is a hypocrite. In the same way, a Christian can be actively in church ministries, doing all, you know, with passions and and with vigor, but can be full of envy, envy, and who can think that she is the only one doing the work while others are not doing anything. She can also be a hypocrite. See, hypocrisy is just like skin disease. It's deadly, it's contagious. And when we have that in the midst of us, we have to call her out, we'll call him out. Hypocrisy is like skin disease, that will make you unclean. It eats away the flesh slowly. Listen. Hypocrisy poisons the heart of humility. It rots and gives reason to pride. Hypocrisy takes away the joy of service. In the end, hypocrisy will make you feel isolated, unhappy, unloved. Listen to Apostle Peter gives us his parting words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He said, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me go back to my first question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and pure heart. Pure heart, not just clean hands, but pure heart. This is where God is looking at. No hypocrisy, no envy, no awkwardness. Purity of heart. Today we will meet again for communion. We will remember again what Jesus did for us. I'm going to give you some time to look over your heart. And if there's anything that you see that you find in there that's not pleasing to God, this is time to repent. Would you bow your heads? Pray with me. Father, I pray you can see through our hearts. If you can see anything that displeases you. If you can see any pride or envy. If you can see any deceit or malice or slander. Father, I pray that you will cleanse our hearts and declare us clean before you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our lips. We honor you with our hands. We want to honor you with whatever we've got because you are holy. Allow us to be worthy as to the remembrance of you of what you did on the cross. Stay in the moment of reflection as we receive the elements of communion. 